This is The Extraordinary Story, a podcast about the life of Christ. Jesus Christ, God himself, entered the confusing maze that is our world to show us who we are and to give us his cross as a ladder up and out. This is his story and ours, The Extraordinary Story. Brought to you by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Written and hosted by Tom Hoops. I sing of a maiden that is matchless, king of kings for her son she chose. He came as still where his mother was, as dew in April that falls on the grass. He came as still to his mother's bower, as dew in April that falls on the flower. He came as still where his mother lay, as dew in April that falls on the spray. Mother and maiden was never none but she, well such a lady may God's mother be. I love that poem. It's by an anonymous poet of the 14th century. It captures the quiet choice Mary made at the Annunciation, the announcement of Gabriel, to be the mother of Jesus. And since Jesus was God, this was a decision to be God's mother. Not God's mother in some kind of pagan mythological way, but God's mother because of what God chose to do through her. So I want to talk about who Mary was, what she was like, where she was from, and what happened when the angel Gabriel came to talk to her. But first, we have to understand why she is God's mother by asking who was her son. Her son was the subject of these podcasts, The Extraordinary Story. He was Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. We live in the world he created, but he is not just in this world, but also outside it. We experience the earth like a three-dimensional maze where we can only see what's right in front of us at any given time. If the floor of the maze is time, we only know the present tense with vague shifting memories of the past that we build into faulty guesses about the future. God sees the world from above and outside the world. To him, there is no faulty memory, no guess at the future. He sees all of time from beginning to end and all space from east to west all at once. To him, our maze is a scrap of paper in his mighty hand. So God picked his spot, Nazareth, and his year, which became the year zero, or as close as they could calculate it when they first tried. And God picked Mary to be the one through whom he entered the maze to show us how to live and to show us who he is. Catholics tell the story every day in the Angelus, the noonday prayer, about the angel Gabriel's visit to Mary. We pray, and the angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then we pray the words of the angel, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And then we pray the words of Mary's fiat, her decision to become the mother of God. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done unto me according to thy word. Last, we pray a description, a theological description, of what is happening here from the Gospel of John. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Well, that's the whole story in a nutshell. That's the tale I'm going to tell today. We owe so much to the quiet choice of Mary who made it possible for us to meet Jesus. And if you pray the Angelus during the day, it's always a sweet, consoling moment where you remember how God comes to you, how God comes to mankind, how God comes quietly like the dewfall. 
But there's another bit of, the, of poetry about the Annunciation that I want to share, and it goes like this. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, loud noises, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant, and she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with an iron hand. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. So those verses from the very end of the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation and the 12th chapter of Revelation tell exactly the same story as the poem, I Sing of a Maiden. While God was gently joining his creation like the dew fall in April, something else was happening outside of time. And what is happening there is not a silent night, but a chaotic storm, not a gentle unfolding of God's plan, but a violent eruption of God's will, not peace on earth and mercy mild, but war in heaven and eternal rejection of God. It's good that this comes up at the beginning of the story because it's a key background about the angels and God and Mary. Now, these are verses from the book of Revelation, so you have to be careful not to misinterpret what you're hearing. The image of the woman is not solely and simply an image of Mary. In fact, it's an image of the Ark of the Covenant, which the text itself says. Or, as the early church saw it, it's an image of the church herself. But they also saw that it was an image of Mary. It does show a female figure in heaven giving birth to the king who would rule all nations. And Christian leaders from the 300s, from the 400s, were seeing Mary in these verses already. In the 500s, Ecumenius said, This passage is speaking about the mother of our Savior. The vision appropriately depicts her as in heaven and not on earth, for she is pure in soul and body, equal to an angel and a citizen of heaven. Catholics in America have no problem recognizing this woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, because what it is describing is exactly what we see in the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And all the angels saw it too. And what happened when the angels saw it? Remember, outside of earth, all events of all time appear in one eternal moment. So the angels see all time in one moment. They see God choosing Mary to enter mankind. And immediately what happened was the fall of the angels. When these pure spirits outside of time and space rejected God, their rejection was immediate and forever. Obviously, they all didn't reject God, but for those who did, why did they do it? Why did they suddenly reject God? Well, the story shows us why. It was because of the vision of Mary they saw. They saw the sign of the woman in the sky and objected. 
The church fathers say it's because they saw God planning to become man and that enraged them. But the vision of this particular woman is 100% tied up with that. Maybe they could handle it if they only saw Jesus on his throne, but what they saw was that a woman would be greater than them and indeed that the whole church would surpass them and that enraged them. Essentially, the animals God was creating on earth would be elevated past them. It would be a little bit like being told that a cockroach was going to be given a human soul and that cockroach clothed with starlight would be our queen and that we would have to serve her and her child would be a ruler who we would have to bow down to. The letter to the Hebrews describes what's going on this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. End quote. So the angels saw in a flash that God meant to become man. And they saw something else also. And this is something St. Paul described to the Galatians. Quote, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, end quote. So the angels saw it all, all at once. They saw God, through this woman, adopting each of us to be his sons and daughters. And what was their reaction? Some rejected God, and since they did so, there in that eternal moment, they did so once and for all. Others leapt to God's defense, particularly Michael, whose name means, who is like God? His attitude was, God is greater than I am. He knows best, so his will be done. I love to think of the angels as each being given special gifts. Another name for Satan was Lucifer, the light bearer. He began to use his gifts of reason, of sight, at cross purposes with God. And the text says, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. That phrase seems to point out the whole drama of salvation history, with Satan singling out Eve and convincing her to use her intelligence and will for herself rather than God, just like he did. And you see it in the way Satan has dogged women for centuries to keep for themselves the gifts they have been given to share. You see it in our own time. I'm recording this the day after Mother's Day in 2022 when churches were vandalized with messages in favor of abortion or, here in Atchison, messages about Satan, and churches nationwide were attacked by people who want to retain the right to end children's lives in abortion. So Satan pursues the woman still. Sadly, Adam and Eve joined the revolt, but human beings are not like angels. We do not live outside of time and space where a choice is automatic, irreversible, and eternal. When human beings bound by time and space joined our no to the devils, it had to unfold in the reality of the maze of space and time that we live in. On the one hand, we are members of the family of our first parents, and just as we all live where we live and look the way we look because of our parents and their parents and on and on, we have all inherited original sin because of what our first parents freely chose. They chose to take their lives out of God's hand and into their own hands. The symbolic language of Genesis says that they ate a fruit of the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Satan told them, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, there was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, so she took its fruit and ate, end quote. In other words, she ate the fruit because it looked pleasing. She thought it would give her more power over her life through self-determination, and she took it even though it wasn't hers. These three attributes, the desire for pleasure, and that becomes especially sexual pleasure later on, the desire for power, and the desire for wealth, their greed, are the components of the triple concupiscence that the church tells us we received at the original sin. We long for sex, money, and power ever since then. And all of salvation history unfolded thereafter as a story of how we have taken what we can get from each other and from the world all for ourselves. And God has made a series of counteroffers, all of them designed to get us to let go of control and break the triple concupiscence of lust, greed, and pride. First, God tried to help Adam and Eve understand the value of sex, money, and power, or at any rate, of each other and the goods of the earth and their place in it by associating each with suffering. The suffering of childbirth, the difficulty of earning one's livelihood. But sin kept growing in its influence also. From Cain killing Abel to the violence in the time of Noah, in each case, God came to teach his people how to be fruitful and multiply how to live in harmony with the resources they were given, and how to live in harmony with each other and with Him. You see God restoring our right opinion of ourselves in the big covenants of history. God tells Abraham he intends to make him the father of a great nation, but challenges him to offer his son Isaac to him first. God promises Moses freedom, but Moses and his people have to give their choice lambs and more sacrifices to follow first. God promises David he will give him a forever kingdom, but he has to first acknowledge that his power comes from God. So the three covenants, among many other things, are God's way of undermining the triple concupiscence. In them, he reorients each aspect of man's life toward God, his sexuality, economic life, and the pursuit of power. And now, after all of that, he comes to Mary. All of that is swirling around in the air when the angel Gabriel leaves heaven and comes to the woman of Nazareth and offers her a deal. But that raises another question. If we want to tell this tale, what was the angel Gabriel like and what was Mary like? We saw a little bit of both in the apparitions in Fatima, Portugal in 1917, when three shepherd children experienced visits by Mary, but also by an angel. These apparitions ended with an astonishing miracle of the sun, which was attested to by non-believers. So while the church doesn't require anybody to believe in this apparition, it sure seems authentic to a lot of people. Well, one of the children wrote, I don't know why, but the apparitions of Our Lady produced in us effects quite different from the angels' visitations. We felt in both instances the same intimate happiness, peace, and joy, they said, but in the angel's presence, they also felt the annihilation of the divine presence. Well, that's a very curious phrase, the annihilation of the divine presence. It's a suggestive way to describe what people must feel like when they meet an angel and why angels have to always start out their conversations with people by saying, do not be afraid. 
You know, for instance, St. John in the book of Revelation drops to his face to worship the angel that he sees, and the angel has to complain and tell him not to do that. You get a little bit of that in the Annunciation. According to St. Luke's Gospel, quote, the angel came to Mary and said, Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this must be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. End quote. Right here, you already get an indication of where St. Luke is getting his material. He says, she considered in her mind what sort of greeting this must be. Well, there's only one person who could have told him what Mary was thinking in her mind when she met the angel Gabriel, and that's Mary herself. So there's a long tradition of considering Mary to be the source of this information and considering these clues that Luke leaves as his acknowledgement of his source. So now we have to answer the other question, what was Mary like? We actually have a really good idea of what she was like. You will see it as we go forward in the gospel and see how she acts and reacts in various situations. I'm not sure how you think of Mary. If people have seen her in certain statues that show her demurely lowering her eyes, or if people apply to her a false preconception that she is somehow shy and submissive in some stereotypical way, then you get her entirely wrong, I think. I like comparisons I've seen that say St. Francis of Assisi was a saint who was most like Jesus in his personality, and that Mother Teresa was a saint who was most like Mary in her personality. I like that a lot. If you've ever watched a documentary of Mother Teresa, you see that she is clearly a loving, caring woman who can be very tender and sweet with those who are suffering, but that she is also a very forceful, insistent person who always wants the people around her to bend to the will of God. We will see Mary behave exactly that way at several points in the story ahead. But comparing her to a nun doesn't describe her completely for me, because she wasn't a nun, she was a mother. I can't help but mention that I think of Our Lady in her younger days like I think of Maddie in the movie True Grit. It's a bad comparison because Maddie is hell-bent on justice without mercy, and Our Lady isn't like that at all. But Maddie always insists that everyone around her do what is right, and she doesn't understand why anyone would do anything else. She doesn't let anyone get away with doing anything else. That, I think, is what Mary is like. Because Mary is a queen. We saw her already in the reading from Revelation. She's this woman crowned with 12 stars. And we see her that way in her visits to Earth, such as at Fatima, where she gives us marching orders and how to conduct the ongoing war against evil. Song of Songs 610 is a verse that's often been used to describe her. Quote, Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? End quote. But she's also a queen with a mother's heart. At the Carmelite Chapel at the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., there's a bunch of little phrases that are written on the wall about Mary in this mosaic. And one of them I really like. She is more mother than queen, it says. But that's the young Mary. The older Mary, I can't help thinking of as the paradigmatic mother. She was the mother of Jesus, but since we are adopted sons and daughters of the Father, she became our mother also. And what do mothers do? I remember having to urge one of my older sons to pay more attention to his mother, who he thought was being overbearing. Look, I told him, 
Your mother made you who you are. She knows your limitations, but she also knows your potential. And she never wants you to settle for less than who you are. She has always done everything in her power to make you the person you are supposed to be. Listen to her. That is Mary, right? My own mom improved me in dramatic ways. She made me ambitious. She made me do more with my talents than I would have done otherwise. She drove me out of my comfort zone, forced me to do things that I never would have done without her. That's what Mary does for each of us, urging us to do whatever her son tells us, no matter what. So, back to the Annunciation. What happened? The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, the gospel begins. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Gabriel, from the eternal moment where the devils are enraged at the vision of Mary, comes and calls her full of grace, a highly favored daughter. The Gospel of Luke says she was greatly troubled by this, but he told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no husband? That's a very strange question for Mary to ask the angel. Since the passage began by saying Mary did have a husband, they had not begun to live together yet. That would happen soon enough. And so if it was going to be a typical marriage, it wouldn't make any sense for Mary to ask, how can this be since I have no husband? It would be clear she was going to be living with Joseph soon. That's where the baby would come from. In his book, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary, Brant Petrie says that this could only make sense if Mary had taken a vow of virginity. He also does something I haven't seen before. He points out that in Numbers 30, 13 through 16, such a vow can be permanently binding to married women with the consent of their husband. So this is not something unheard of. We will later see that Joseph does consent. So Gabriel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now think of that. This is describing precisely what we saw in that vision from heaven, where she will be this woman crowned with stars, bringing forth the Holy One that Satan will try to devour. But it also gives us our first glimpse of who God is, and God is the Trinity. Mary is the first to get to hear about the Trinity. The Trinity is a huge mystery, but it's a mystery that makes a lot of sense. God is love, we know, and if God is love, he can't simply be one because one alone is loneliness. And if God is love, he can't simply be three because love unites, love becomes one. As Pope Benedict XVI put it, quote, The Father is love, the Son is love, the Spirit is love. God is holy and only love, the purest, infinite, and eternal love. He does not live in splendid solitude, but rather in an inexhaustible source of life that is ceaselessly given and communicated. Love militates against loneliness, and pure, divine love endlessly creates community. That's what we see in heaven, with choirs of angels being created, and that's what we see on earth with all of these creatures being created. But you also see Mary perfectly fulfilling the command of love with which God rules the universe. Remember, he didn't keep his gifts to himself, but poured them out on the earth. 
Here, Mary is not keeping her gifts to her, of fertility and her life to herself, but pouring them out in the world. So Mary defeats all three aspects of this kind of triple concupiscence that we've been talking about. Her virginal conception is the antithesis of the kind of fascination and obsession we have with sexuality. We have this obsession with wealth and greed, and yet she is this poor, humble woman who becomes the mother of the new king. And she upends our focus on human power by saying, I am the handmaiden of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word, which is the very antithesis of a power grab. Mary says to Gabriel, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. By Mary saying that, Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord, and by her fiat, let it be done unto me according to your word, she becomes the prototype Christian. It's the playing out of that war in heaven that John described in the book of Revelation. It is the statement of ultimate humility that undoes the ultimate pride of Satan, and it's the first step toward each of us being adopted by God to be sons and daughters of the Father, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And it all happened in April. Okay, we celebrated on March 25th, but I love that poem I opened with, how it says that it happened in April, because there's this tradition that the Annunciation must have happened when Good Friday happened and when Easter happened, and all of it happened in April. And I love April. I love April because... While the book of Revelation shows this kingdom of God with this lady in the sky and a starry crown, and it can all seem a little bit too much to us in modern times, Jesus compares this kingdom of God to a garden slowly sprouting, to the power that's within a mustard seed, to a sower who's sowing seeds on various kinds of soil. I think that's an image we can grasp. This kingdom of God Yes, it's like this giant vision in the sky of Our Lady, but it's also like the tiniest seed that grows in the ground. Even Our Lady of Guadalupe, clothed with the sun, is a humble woman with downcast eyes who makes me think of that old poem, I sing of a maiden who is matchless. He came all as still to his mother's bower as dew in April that falls on the flower. Mother and maiden was never none but she. Well may such a lady God's mother be. The Extraordinary Story is written by Tom Hoops and produced by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Our mission is to produce media that will transform culture in America through Benedictine's mission of community, faith, and scholarship visit us at xcorde.org.